Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. <laughs> and you at home, welcome. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. I hope you're doing well. Uh, it's good to be here today to share God's word with you. Um, God is doing some exciting things here at Discovery Point Church, and I hope he's doing some great things in your life as well. Will you pray with me? And we'll ask God's blessing upon our time. Father in heaven, we want to say thank you because you are our way maker and miracle worker. You keep all of your promises and you light our way in the darkness. And Jesus, we want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us and for not leaving us to, to live this Christian life on our own. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your great love for us. Because while we were yet sinners, your word says that you died for us. And, and we want to say thank you. We ask your blessing upon the reading of your word this evening. We pray that you would touch and speak to our hearts and our minds that we might leave here not the same way as when we came. We love you, Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think it was just over a month ago, we were here for Resurrection Sunday, and we were outside in the parking lot, if you remember. And I was thinking about that in preparation for today, but just to see this sea of brothers and sisters and visitors all out in the parking lot to hear the gospel. I think we had about 400 people show up on Easter morning. And I remember just standing up and looking at this sea of people who came to hear about Jesus. And Pastor Greg preached the gospel to us. He preached out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we got to hear what the gospel is. Where, where Paul says that, for I deliver it to you as of first importance, talking about the gospel. That Christ died according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And he was raised three days later again according to the scriptures. And the fascinating thing is simply this. He didn't just rise from the grave and not be seen. But he showed himself to Peter and the other apostles. And then he showed himself, the scripture says, to, over five, to 500 brethren. Excuse me. All at the same time. And then to James, and then finally he revealed himself to Paul. And so the gospel is not faith in faith, but it's faith in the risen and living Lord who was Jesus Christ. Right. Amen? Amen? And he lives forevermore. Amen. You know, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But... Is that all there is to the Christian life? You ever thought about that? Yes, it's a wonderful thing, and we thank God that he sent his son to die for our sins, but is that it? Is it simply we've got our, our, our ticket punched for heaven and we're good? Or is there something more to the Christian life? And a few weeks ago, Pastor Greg introduced this new series that we're we're embarking upon today called the, the Exchange to Life. I'm calling it today the Great Exchange. 
And we're going to survey the Christian life beyond the cross. And we're going to investigate God's word, as Pastor Grip mentioned earlier, in Romans chapter 5 through Romans chapter 8. I tried to get the whole book, but, you know, they just wouldn't. I, I, I tried, y'all. They just wasn't having it. We'd be here until Jesus comes back, I think. But we're going to look at what Jesus' life, his, his crucifixion, his death, his burial and resurrection, what they afforded us. The exchanged life, this study that we're about to embark on, is designed to cause us to fall. Not fail, but fall. To fall more in love with Jesus because what he, of what he's done for us. And it caused us to fall on our knees in praise and adoration when we begin to think about what he has done for us. What he's done for me and what he's done for, for you. See, there's so much more beyond Sunday morning and, and the cross. The gospel is our foundation and the, the exchange to life well, that's the building that we're going to build upon the foundation of the gospel. So if you haven't already, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you run into Romans. Romans chapter 5. And while you're turning, let me give you just a little bit of background to kind of set the scene for us today. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul, although he did, not write, he did not plant the church at Rome, he is writing to the church at Rome because, well, quite frankly, Paul has planted churches in Asia Minor, Galatia, uh, Ephesus, uh, Philippi, throughout all of Asia. And now Asia is saturated with the gospel. And Paul desires to go and to preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached before. And so he's got his eyes set on Spain, but he's going to stop by the church at Rome and use that as kind of a, 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 a jumping off point into Spain. And the church at Rome is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, and it's believed that the Jews are there because of persecution as they were trying to flee Jerusalem. And you've got this church with, with Jews and Gentiles, and there's some tension there. And Paul is writing to help them to see that we're, we're all one in Jesus Christ, both Jew and, and Gentile. And he wants to ease the tension that is within the church as he prepares to make his way to Rome. And so Romans chapter 1 is simply, it simply declares this, that God's wrath, God's hatred of sin is poured out against the ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And Paul spends chapter 1 talking to the Gentiles, letting them know that you are under the condemnation of God, that the wrath of God hangs over your head. And about halfway through chapter 2, he then addresses the Jews. Because the Jews have the law, but they're living like people who don't have the law, even though God gave them the law. And he lets the Jews know, you're guilty too. And in chapter 3, he just kind of brings both groups together and says, so you know what, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That there is none righteous, that there is not one that does good, that we've all turned aside. There's none who seeks after God. No, not one, Paul says. 
And in chapter 4, Paul lets the church know, you can't buy your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. You can't knock on enough doors. You can't talk to enough people to work for your salvation. That it's only by faith. By placing our trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? So when the guys come to your door on Saturday morning and they knock with their magazine, they're working for their salvation. Let them know. You can't work for it. And when you see your neighbors in the white shirts with the black name badge on the bicycles and the bicycle helmets, and they come to your house, let them know you can't work for your salvation. Paul says so. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But in the middle of Romans chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham to help us to see that our salvation is by faith. And that will help lead us into Romans chapter 5. By the way, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't go, okay, chapter 1, verse 1. It's the letter. But he uses Abraham to point some things out to us that will help us in chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible open, look at Romans chapter 4. Look at verse 18 with me. And it's on the screen too, but Paul says this, talking about Abraham, and he's quoting Genesis 15. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Let me stop here for a minute. God had told Abraham that you're going to have an heir And he said, Abraham, step outside and look up at the stars and that your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Well, there's a problem because Abraham is about 100 years old and Sarah's about 99. And, you know, the fire's gone out a long time ago. But God tells Abraham, you are going to bear a son from your body. And Abraham's like, yeah, but okay, Lord. Verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that God had promised he was able, that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, look at 23, very closely. Very important. Now... Not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. When God raised Jesus from the dead, there was an exchange that took place. Did you know that? There was an exchange that took place. See, when, when we believe the gospel that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose three days later, that's the gospel. When we believe that, the Bible says that God rescues us. In Colossians 1, verses 13 through 14, Paul says this, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. When we accepted the gospel, when we believed, the Father rescued us from the hold of sin and Satan. And the Bible says he transferred us to the kingdom of his Son. Does that make sense? Not only that, but in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says that when we believe the gospel that God sealed us, in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, it says this, In him, talking about Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. When we heard the gospel and we believed, the Holy Spirit came, and he indwelt us, and he sealed us until the day that Jesus comes back to get us. And so our salvation is secure. Amen? But there's more. In Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, we learn that God adopted us. Amen. Look at the screen. It's on the, it's on the screen. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. Amen. Because you are sons, God has sent forth his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There's a relationship that's now been established, Paul says. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if a son, then an heir through God. When we believe the gospel, God rescued us, and he sealed us, and he adopted us. Not like a red-headed stepchild, although redheads, you know, nothing wrong with having a redhead, or, or hair for that instance. But we are now part of God's family. And so some things have changed. And to steal a phrase, but wait, there's more. Look at chapter 5, verse 1 with me. Where Paul says, therefore after talking about Abraham, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul says that therefore, because of our belief in the gospel, our trusting in Jesus for our salvation, we have been justified, not by works, but by faith. Justified is a, is a legal term, and it means to be judicially vindicated. It means to be acquitted. It means to no longer be considered guilty. It is the sovereign act of God whereby he declares the sinner innocent. He declares us righteous, even though we still sin, even though we still fall short and we still kind of go our way. This is a done deal. When we believed the gospel, we were justified, past tense. And we will never be unjustified because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Amen. And so now we can go before God the Father Amen. with confidence because he sees us in his son. Because Jesus paid the price for our sins, past, present, and future. This is good news. Amen. So when the Father sees us, we are no longer guilty of sin. Amen. 
positionally. We are justified forever. Is that not good news? God the Father has declared those who trust in Jesus for their salvation to be righteous before him. Pastor Ron calls this the great exchange. And he, he likes to go to 2 Corinthians 5.21, where Paul says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right. See, when Jesus died on the cross and we accepted the gospel, when we believed, our sin was credited to Jesus and his work on the cross. Because right. on the cross, God poured his full fury, the full fury of his wrath onto Jesus. Right. And he died in our place. And because he lived a perfect life and pleased the Father, his life is credited to us. So when the Father sees you, when he sees me, he knows that we are justified. Not guilty. Because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. Amen? And so as as a result of our faith in Jesus and believing the gospel, we have exchanged the penalty of sin for the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? And now those who believe in Jesus have a right standing before the Father. But there's more. Look at the rest of the verse. It also says that, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. Let me back up, back to verse 1. We have peace with God. I ran over that. But we have peace with God. This is not the Hebrew idea of shalom, where there's this inner tranquility and this external tranquility. The idea here of peace is the cessation of hostilities. The cessation of hostilities. Because we were enemies of God. Matter of fact, we were at war with God and God was at war with us because of sin. You look like you don't believe me. Next week, we're going to look at Romans 5.10, where Paul says this. Here's a little preview. For if while we were, what? Enemies, we were reconciled to God. We were haters of God, Paul says. And I love what James, in James chapter 4, verse 4 says, he says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And before Jesus saved us, we were in the world and we loved the world, and we loved our sin because that's all we knew. And yet, God was at war with us. And his wrath was hanging over our heads. Until we heard the gospel. And we believed it. And God saved us. You see, sin separated us from God. And God hates sin which is why his wrath is revealed. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. 
He says, therefore, talking to the church, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time, before you came to Jesus, separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a pretty meek existence. No hope. Apart from God, we don't have the law. We, we, we don't have the promises that Israel had. But we've got one thing in common. We're all headed to hell. Paul goes on in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar, were, were far off, having been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both to God through the cross, having put to death the enmity. See, Jesus took the sin that separated us from God the Father, the anger and the wrath, and he brought us two together so that we could have fellowship with Jesus, so that we could have a relationship with God the Father, so that there could be peace with God the Father. So now there is intimacy, just like in the garden, before the fall. And the word peace means to to, to bring together that which was separated. To bring together that which was separated. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He has brought us back to, to the Father with a relationship. And we now have peace with God the Father. And so we have exchanged hostilities with God the Father for peace with God the Father. Does that make sense? And so there's been an exchange there. But wait, there's more. Thank you. There's more. Look at verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. This is rich. Don't miss this. Paul says that you and I, those who believe the gospel, and who trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. He says we have each and every day, and every minute and moment of every day, throughout each day, permanent access, because of our faith in Jesus, to an environment of grace. Did you hear that? That you and I, if you belong to Jesus, we have permanent access to an environment of grace each and every day. And Paul says that we, we stand, that we live in an environment, in a sphere of grace. All the time. Never ending. It's permanent. Y'all don't hear me. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's his undeserved favor. We didn't do anything to, 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 to deserve it. Right. But because of what Jesus has done for us, 
God has now lavished us with grace 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so God is always for us. And he is never against us. So when we fall into sin, when we slip up and we, we, we argue with our wives and our children, he is still for us. And that doesn't change. Grace is always and ever available to us. Thank you, brother. It is. So if you need grace today, it's available. And it's always available. And it's always in our midst because of what Jesus has done. And so we've exchanged condemnation for grace, for God's favor all the time. It's like cable, 24 hours a day, nonstop, just keeps going, and, and it never has a blackout or a brownout. But look at what else Paul says in verse 2. He says, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. The word exult means to rejoice or we boast in hope of the glory of God. Amen. That we feel great joy or confidence in God. This points us back to Abraham in Romans 4, verses 19 through 21, who didn't waver in faith when he realized that, oh, Lord, I'm 100 years old. How am I going to have a kid? Cyrus 99, how's this going to happen? I don't get it. I don't, I don't see how it's going to happen. But because you said we're going to have a child, I believe you. And it's the same for us today. And I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're struggling with. Maybe it's a relationship or finances. Maybe it's a job. And you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Trust the Lord. Depend on Jesus. Abide in Christ. And see if he won't open a door and answer your prayers. After all, he died for you and he justified you. And we now have peace with God the Father. And now we can exult and rejoice because now we have hope that God will do what God says he will do. And God does not break his promises. And if he says he is going to provide, he will provide. If he says he's going to make a way out, he will make a way out. If he says that he will forgive, he will forgive. And just as Abraham couldn't see an answer physically, but God, because God said it, I'm going to believe it. We have to do the same. And we can rejoice because of who we serve and who God is. And we know that God is who he said he is. And he will do what he said he will do because he raised Jesus from the dead and has secured our salvation. Amen? Amen. And so we can have this confidence today, this hope, this expectation because of what Jesus has done. And so we have exchanged hopelessness for hope because of who God is. And you know what? That hope extends both when times are great and it extends when times are terrible or difficult. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. Paul says, and not only this, that's a first century way of saying, but wait, there's more. 
But we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There's a very strong contrast here in the Greek text. We rejoice in the hope to the glory of God in the good times, but even in tribulation, in trials and afflictions and struggles and disease and when the culture comes against us and wants to put us in jail for preaching the gospel, hope is still alive. Because God hasn't changed. And look at what Paul says. That we rejoice in our tribulations. Sounds like James. But we rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance or patience, endurance, that when, when, when trials come, because our hope is in Jesus, we can endure the trial. We can endure the affliction. We can endure the persecution because we belong to the Lord. And that, that patience or that fortitude produces proven character, dependability, reliability. It shows us that we are who God says we are. When we're patient, and we don't lash out, but rather we love because our hope is in Christ. And that proven character produces hope, Paul says. And hope does not disappoint. So whether good times or bad times, our hope is in the Lord who always keeps his promises. Who takes care of his children whom he has adopted. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. His love, that love that loves people when folks say just you should write them off. The love that says that they're not worth it. His love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And we've got the Holy Spirit with us. The third person in the Trinity, God of very God, indwelling us, empowering us, speaking through us, using us for the glory of God the Father. Even in the difficult times. And as Paul said, hope does not disappoint. G.K. Chesterton is quoted as saying that hope means expectancy when things are otherwise hopeless. And I think about Abraham, 100 years old, but you're going to have a child. And if God can cause Abraham's body and Sarah's womb to be alive, what can he do in your life? God doesn't have an issue with money or sickness or disease. He's bigger than that. Amen. And so what Jesus has done for us is just simply amazing as we talk about the exchanged life. We've taken the penalty of sin and exchanged it for righteousness. We've taken 
hostilities with God and we've exchanged it for peace. We've taken condemnation and exchanged it for grace. We've taken hopelessness and exchanged it for, for hope. And this is just the first five verses of this very first chapter. These are the beginnings of the great exchange, the exchange life. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus? Not, not do you know facts about him, but do you know him experientially? Is he your Lord and Savior? Are you placing and have you placed your trust in him for your salvation? Have you believed the gospel? If you have, don't leave this place or wherever you might be the same. Because Jesus has done so much for us in the exchanged life. And I hope that there is a difference that you begin to see and to live out in your life because of what he's done for us. Now, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, if you've never asked him to save you, if you've never believed the gospel, let me leave you simply with this. Paul says that there's no way that we can work for our salvation. Paul says that we can't even earn our salvation. We can't pay for it. We can't do enough good deeds to earn it. Now, you can pay for your salvation if you choose to, but let me warn you, it'll be in eternity in conscious torment forever and ever. And there you will pay for your sins in the lake of fire forever and ever. Conscious torment, you will spend eternity paying for your sins. Not to scare you, but this, that's, the, that's the scripture. That's God's truth. And I, I've heard people say, well, if, if I'm going to hell, fine. Most of my friends will be there. Hell is not a happy place. It is a place where the wrath of God is on full display for eternity. And don't think that Satan's going to be there with a pitchfork prodding you. No, it, that was prepared for him too. So he'll be there too, paying the penalty for his sin. And the only way to have peace with God the Father, and I don't care what Oprah says, is through Jesus Christ and him alone. And it all starts with believing the gospel. That Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. Was crucified on a cross where he shed his blood for us. And he died and then they buried him. And three days later he rose again. And he showed himself to Peter and the other 12. And then the 500 brethren at the same time. And to James and also to Paul. The gospel is the only means of salvation. And if you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you to cry out to him and ask him to save you. If there are questions, come up after the worship service. We'd love to talk with you. Pastor Greg is here. I'll be here. Uh, Mark Cooper's here, one of our elders. We'd love to talk with you about the gospel. But don't leave here today. If you're not sure you're going to go to heaven, Don't leave here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we consider the exchanged life and the great exchange, 
when we consider, Jesus, what you have done for us. Lord, our prayer is that those of us who belong to you, that our lives would be different. That we wouldn't be the same after reading and hearing what you have said to us through your word this, this evening. And Father, for those who are here who don't know you, pray that you would give them ears to hear and that you would draw them to yourself and that you would save them for your glory. Because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. This we believe because you've said it. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we ask these things in your name. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.